So today, we get Doubting Thomas. And I think it is so unfair that the way that we know Thomas is Doubting Thomas. What a rip! How cruel that this faithful disciple of Jesus Christ is known as Doubting Thomas. After all, we don't call Peter the deserter. We don't call him Big Fat Chicken. You denied Jesus three times. What is your problem, Peter? We don't call him that. But Thomas gets this terrible moniker. It's just not right. Especially when we look at where else Thomas appears in Scripture. A couple of weeks ago, we read and talked about the story of Lazarus. Remember, Jesus and the disciples were outside of Judea and Jerusalem, and they were away, and they got word that Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, was dying, and Jesus said, we're not going to go now. And then, four days hence, he says, okay, we're going to go. And the disciples say, no, we can't go. We can't go back to Jerusalem and Judea because you're going to be at great risk. The Jews, the chief priests, the um, Pharisees, they're waiting to persecute you. So we can't go. And Jesus says, we're going. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, says, let us also go that we may die with him. Doubting Thomas or courageous Thomas? So I think when we have labels for people, it can be a dangerous thing. I saw a cartoon yesterday where it's Thomas and Peter, and I can't remember who the other disciple is, and Thomas is saying, how come I get doubting Thomas? You know, you guys didn't get stuck with any other names. How come I get it? And they were saying, get over it. (laughs) Well, I think the reality is that in our lives, sometimes... We get in a stuck place where we believe a label about ourselves. It might be doubting Karen. It might be failure as a wife, Karen. It might be second-class athlete, Karen. And and if we can identify a name that we're stuck with, an identity that we're stuck with when we're having a particularly bad, awful day, we can look at Thomas and at the other disciples and realize we don't have to stay stuck. 
So what happens in the upper room? All the disciples are there except for Thomas. He was probably out getting a pizza. (laughs) They're all there. It's the evening of Easter. Mary and, and, and Simone and other women have gone to them and said, We've seen the Lord. He's not dead anymore. He's risen. And they're going, oh, oh, maybe. <laughs> and they're closed behind these doors in the upper room. And they're fearful. Our passage says they're there because they're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid of what might happen. They think that Jesus is dead. All their hopes, all their dreams about what they hoped would happen with this Jesus have been dashed. They're not quite at Easter yet. They're afraid that they're going to be persecuted. They're feeling pretty dang hopeless and uncertain about what the future holds. And then Jesus comes. I love it how the story is told. He just appears. The doors don't open. He just, poof, he's there. Which reminds us that death can't contain him. And he's there, and what is the very first thing he says to them? Peace be with you. Peace be with you in all your doubts. Peace be with you in all your fears. Peace be with you in all your uncertainty, in your feelings of hopelessness. Peace be with you. And then he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. But I want you to notice something when he says, peace be with you. Right after he says, peace be with you, the scripture says, after he said this, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. You see, they didn't believe it either until they saw his hands and his side. They're not so different from doubting Thomas, are they? (laughs) In fact, they didn't recognize him until... They saw evidence that this was Christ Jesus. Their doubts are vanquished. He's alive, rejoicing in that room. Can you imagine the incredible joy? (laughs) Maybe our hopes aren't dashed. Maybe there's something to all that he taught us. He's overcome death. He's risen. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. He's right here in front of me. And then he gives them a charge. He says to love like he's loved and to forgive in the way that he's forgiven. And it's the same charge that he gives to all of us. 
to love like we've been loved and to forgive like we've been forgiven. So back to Thomas. They go and tell Thomas, and he says, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. So a week goes by, and they're back in the upper room, probably feeling a little bit more hopeful, a little bit more joyful, but Thomas is sitting there, and Jesus comes. Again, poof. He's there in the room with them. You see, Thomas missed it the first time. So Jesus, in his gracious love and compassion and care, says, Thomas, here, stick your finger in my hands and the wound in my side and believe. And Thomas, when he sees and touches Jesus, responds by saying, my Lord and my God. It's the only place in the Gospels that one of the disciples calls Jesus God. Profound statement of recognition that this isn't just the guy I hung out with for three years. This Jesus, this risen Christ is God. Jesus doesn't condemn his need to touch He makes sure that Thomas has the opportunity to come to faith, to believe. In his great love and his tenderness and his forgiveness, he says, here, touch here, touch here. It's me. And Thomas's response is this incredible declaration of joy love, and belief. Doubting Thomas, I think not. So, is the struggle to believe something that makes us less? Does the pain of doubt and unbelief condemn us? Certainly not. Clearly by this passage, the disciples before Jesus entered the room the first time were doubting and struggling with their unbelief. Certainly Thomas, I mean, we know his story. But we're not condemned because we doubt. We're not condemned when we're struggling to believe. St. John of the Cross calls those moments when we're in doubt, when we're struggling, when we're feeling hopeless, when our hearts are broken, when we're not at all sure that God is here with us. He calls those moments the dark night of the soul. Most of us have experienced the dark night of the soul. My first real experience of it was when my mom was diagnosed with brain cancer. And in six months, she was dead. Shortly after that, my grandfather died. Shortly after that, my uncle died. Shortly after that, my father died and my grandmother died. And 
The church, where Dave and I were actively involved, fell apart because of the sexual misconduct of our priest. Five-year period. Every single support that I knew and I relied on was gone. Truly a dark night of the soul. And yet, coming through that experience, my belief was deepened and strengthened. Did I have my doubts? Absolutely. Did I have moments where my behavior was less than exemplary? Absolutely. Did I cry out in pain and anguish, Where are you, Lord? Absolutely. Did God ever desert me? Absolutely not. C.S. Lewis says, If we only have the will to walk, then God is pleased with our stumbles. I love that. Keep on walking. Keep on going in spite of doubt, in spite of pain, in spite of the dark night of the soul, in spite of death engulfing you, engulfing me. Keep on walking. And God is pleased with our stumbles. It reminds me, this whole doubt thing reminds me of the story in Mark where the dad has his demon-possessed son and he he brings him to Jesus because he's heard that Jesus is this amazing healer and he brings this demon-possessed child to Jesus and and he says, if you can... Talk about doubt, right? If you can, could you please heal him? And Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? He says, everything is possible for those who believe. And the man says, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. That's the doubter's prayer, isn't it? Lord, I believe, but I'm not there yet. Help me in my unbelief. Help me in those areas where I'm having a really hard time believing that you're with me, believing that you even care. Help me believe. You see, we all have those areas where we struggle with belief, and sometimes we have harder times than others. Sometimes we go through that dark night of the soul experience. And often in the dark night of the soul, we start believing our labels for ourselves or the ones that were hung on us when we were kids or at a moment when we failed. It might not be doubter. It could be loser. It could be ugly. could be stupid. could be mean. 
We all have labels that we tend to believe when things aren't going so great. And maybe we're saddled with them even now. But you see, Jesus changes them. He transforms them. Peter, the big chicken deserter, denier, went on to be an amazing disciple of Jesus, as did all of them. As did all of them. Thomas included. So as we move forward in this walk of faith, this walk that we're called to, where sometimes we stumble and God says, it's okay. We have this opportunity to embrace who we are in Jesus Christ. And it's not doubter, and it's not loser, and it's not ugly, it's not fat, it's not stupid. It's beloved child of God, worthy of this extraordinary grace and love that he extends to us. So that, as we encounter Jesus in our broken places, in our doubt, we can also say, my Lord and my God, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.